Uh, we're going to need to call some people. Welcome back to Maximoff Overdrive. WandaVision may be over, but Kelly Gamont, Don Melton, and I, Lisa Schmeiser, are not done with the fantastic Marvel shows on Disney+. And we are so excited to reconvene to discuss the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like I said, I'm Lisa Schmeiser, and with me is Kelly Gamont. Howdy-do. And Don Melton. Howdy-howdy. For those of you who pieced out on the first nine episodes of this podcast, a little bit of housekeeping as to how this show works. We have a ceremonial assignment of the episode recap. Then we react to what we saw, discuss, riff a little, talk about what we didn't like. And then finally, we have a segment that from now on we're going to call, Really? Where Don Melton drops some serious Marvel knowledge and Kelly and I both go, Really? really? And then find out more. <laughs> so that's your Maximoff Overdrive formula. We're going to apply it to as many Marvel-centric shows as we feel fit to cover. And now let's begin with everyone's favorite opening preliminaries, the ceremonial assignment of the recap. Don, would you like to do the recap this week? Hell no. Okay. <laughs> Kelly, would you like to do the recap this week? You know, I took a shot at writing one down uh-huh. in case you wanted a week off. Uh-huh. So I could. You could. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to do with this because I was expecting to do it. I wrote one, too. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Kelly, how about you? Let's have you do a recap. All right. I, like, I kind of put it on you, like, the whole of WandaVision. Well, I... I... I thought we were going to do a a battle, you know. A battle recap? <laughs> we could. We could both recap and see what we pay attention to. Because, <laughs> no, if we do it that way, because my recap's like 200 words. Like, if we do that this way, then we can point out the stuff we paid attention to. And then that lets us segue right into the reaction segment. So, Kelly, let's start with your recap. Okay. We open on Sam in a regular suit, and he's recalling that Steve Rogers told him the shield does in fact belong to him. Then we get the dramatic reveal of a leather bag for the shield, you know, when you need to travel incognito. We have a hard cut to an airplane where major exposition gives Sam the lowdown on a new terrorist organization that's very scary and very mysterious. Sam, in a Falcon suit this time, dives out of the plane and proceeds to discover the other plane has already been hijacked by these bad guys and reports this turn of events to his man on the ground, online chatter Torres. We discover our baddies have loads of men and also loads of aircraft as they chase bad guys through the air and other helicopters and have a good old-fashioned Marvel throwdown. The Falcon saves the gay and the guy who got kidnapped. Sam and Torres are hanging out and having coffee while Sam does some repair work on part of his suit. We get more exposition here about how those bad guys are bad, but they're nowhere near as bad as these other bad guys. We get a mention of the blip here, I think mostly for timeline purposes. Online chatter Torres says he'll keep an eye on these new bad guys and call Sam if things get interesting. Then we get a brief con a brief conversation about conspiracy theorists, which hits a lot different now than I think it did when they shot it. Sam says he's off to Washington, and we discover he's headed to the Smithsonian to talk about Cap. Rhodey watches from the, front war- from the front row as Lisa officially falls in love with this show. Sam gives a lovely speech about needing heroes to match our times and how symbols need people behind them. He hands over the shield. Rhodey and Sam catch up while strolling through a Captain America exhibit that makes mention of Bucky Barnes, Hydra, and some Sokovia Accords. Rhodey wants to know why Sam didn't take up the shield his own damn self, and Sam says it wasn't his to take. 
Rhodey tries to give Sam the soft sell on why maybe he should reassess that stance. Hard cut to a hotel where some people at a conference have just returned and they're standing in the lobby. Some generic bad guys are in the vicinity and you can tell they're bad guys because they have security. The security guys get eliminated and then the actual guys are laid waste to by (gasps) the Winter Soldier. As he crushes the windpipe of the final guy, he says, hail Hydra and lets the dude hit the floor. One of our conference attendees is standing at the end of the hall trying to get his key in the lock and he keeps repeating he didn't see anything, but the Winter Soldier pulls out a gun. When he takes the shot, Bucky wakes up. We see it was all a nightmare as Bucky is sleeping on the floor of a barely furnished apartment. Now we're off to a therapy session where our man Bucky says he hasn't been having nightmares and his therapist says she knows he's lying. One of the conditions of his pardon is that she makes sure he's not going off the rails anytime soon, so he might as well come out with it already. They have an entertainingly adversarial relationship. Bucky relates a story about crossing the names off his list according to her rules, and he's basically tap dancing on all of these rules. His therapist takes his phone and points out he's ignoring text messages from Sam and it has basically no numbers in it. His flip phone. (laughs) Bucky tells us he had a moment of quiet in Wakanda, but before that he went from one fight to another for 90 years, so he isn't really sure what he wants to do now. He says he wants peace and his therapist calls shenanigans. Bucky's then walking down the street and hears a disagreement, and he intervenes because one of the people involved is an older man he's supposed to be having lunch with today. His grumpy friend says he's not in the mood to have lunch today until Bucky offers to buy. They're sitting in a sushi bar, and Yori and the older man Yori makes an obvious attempt to convince Bucky to ask the waitress out. Bucky tries to play it off, but the waitress is interested. Yori sees some mochi, and he gets sad and remembers his son loved it very much and mentions how bad he feels that something happened to his son, but he doesn't know what, and he'll never, ever know. Bucky broods. (laughs) Sam drives up on a pier to visit his sister and her kids and the fishing boat which he has declared is also a member of their family his sister Sarah mentions that he went off to fight Dr. Space Cape and she had to hold it down at home Sam keeps offering to help her and she's not interested until he convinces her to at least try to go get a new loan and let him tag along Bucky shows up for his date with flowers which our waitress has declared adorably old fashioned she asks if he's been on many dates since half the fish in the sea came back and he says not really They play Battleship, but this version is a drinking game. They get to know each other, and she mentions, eventually, that it's been really hard for their mutual friend Yori since his son died, because when your kids die, that's the worst thing that can happen to a person. Brooding Bucky leaves and ends up on Yori's doorstep. He sees the shine Yori has in his house for his son, and Bucky fumbles for money and says he owed for lunch. He stares at Yori's name in his notebook. Sam's at his sister's house, mass-producing meals for a food bank. Then they head into town early for their, lo- for their loan appointment. Hard cut to Switzerland, where our man online Chatter Torres is looking for bad guys. We have a person appear with a bunch of masks for a rousing round of flash mob mayhem. We have some crime, and all the people in the masks are there as a distraction. Online Chatter gets his butt handed to him by one of the people in masks. Back to Sam. The loan officer can't figure out why he knows it until Sam points it out. Loan off- the loan officer asks, how do you guys make a living anyway? And then rejects the loan because things have tightened up since all these people came back. But he still wants to know if there's any chance he can get a selfie with the Falcon. We get a squabble between Sam and his sister, which shows their dynamic. She's upset because he went off to join the military instead of helping out at home. And she did all the helping out at home and resents him a little for both being gone to the military and getting blipped. Sam's working on the boat, trying very hard to fix something that will enable it to start, and he fails. As he's having a moment of reminiscing at the wheel, he gets a text from Torres asking him to get to a secure line. Sam gets a review of Torres's butt-kicking and tells him to keep it quiet for now. Sarah comes in and tell- turns on the TV, telling Sam he needs to watch. 
A suit at the podium proclaims the need for a hero to defend the U.S., who can be a symbol for everyone, using a lot of Sam's words from the Smithsonian. The U.S. has a new hero, and unveiled is the new Captain America, shield and all. Now Sam is brooding, too. Cut to ten minutes of credits. That was great. I've got three amendments, though. Oh, my God. That was insanely detailed. Mine is so much shorter. <laughs> that was No, this is great. This is great. Uh-huh. This is great. I, yeah. I want to point out uh, that we find out, and it's very essential that we know this, that this series is, uh, except for Bucky's flashback, is told literally, and it starts six months after the blip. So well, it's what fun is far... that when you tell me the story in order? Yeah. Yes. So it's after WandaVision is what we know. Yeah, it's much. Okay. It's like five months after WandaVision. The second yeah. thing is it's not, Falcon isn't working on his suit. Uh, when he's talking to Torres in wherever the hell they're at. Uh, he's Iraq. working on Red Wing, right? He's working on Red Wing, right? I just thought Red Wing was part of his suit. So that's- Red Wing is the name of his little thing. Red Wing. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Well, in the comics, it's an actual bird. I'll get into that later on. Oh, okay. If for really. But, uh, and the third thing is, it's very important when uh, 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 Bucky goes up to uh, to see his friend, his older friend, and leans in and sees the shrine. Mm-hmm. It's real obvious that his son is the guy he, killed, he killed in the yeah. flashback. Yes. Right. No, my recap started off by pointing out that Bucky is essentially living a less funny version of My Name is Earl. (laughs) Awesome. I love that. Yes, indeed. Yeah, because he's got his notebook full of people to apologize to, including Baron Zemo in the notebook, which I can't wait to see exactly what he's planning on apologizing for there. Um, By the way, if if you pause on that page of his notebook and try your best to see some of the the names are amazing. Yeah. And we're going to see some of them, but some of them I doubt we see during the six episodes. Also, uh, the 10 minutes worth of credits, much like when uh, Sam and Rhodey walk through the museum, everything in the background is pertinent. Yeah. All the yeah. text, you got to pause it and look at it. Every stupid frame of those credits. <laughs> shows you, you something. So the credits you, are the post-credit scene is what you're telling me. The credits are the post-credit <laughs> scene. And they actually, I think, lay out a lot about where the series is going. So okay. the things that I liked, I didn't like it the first time. But the second time, it was like, holy crap. <laughs> They're pulling a fast one us, uh, on us. So let's now move I want to, to hear Lisa's our... recap. Oh, my recap? Okay. Yes. <laughs> all right, here we go. All right. First up, remember y'all... Hey, y'all remember the sitcom My Name is Earl, where Jason Lee's character had a moral epiphany and made amends to people he wronged in his past? We're watching Marvel's take on that. Bucky's got a <laughs> notebook full of people to apologize to, including Baron Zemo. And wow, I can't wait to see exactly what he's apologizing for there. And we see him go through his process of not maiming or hurting anyone as he corrects his past wrongs and says he's making amends. Bucky's idea of how this should go varies considerably from his excellently irritated therapist's idea. I have not enjoyed a therapist-patient interplay like this so much since I watched Lucifer. (laughs) Anyway. That is an excellent analogy, actually. Yes. (laughs) 
Anyway, the ticking time bomb that's been armed and deployed in this episode is that Bucky's befriended the bereaved old Japanese man who happens to be the dad of somebody he killed in his past life as the Winter Soldier. And he feels genuinely awful about it. The theme Bucky's going to be wrestling with for eh, probably the next five episodes is what does it look like when you want to walk away from an endless war? How do you even take the first step? Second up, the Sam Wilson show is basically like, y'all really going to leave Sam Wilson on the table, America? I guess you are. <laughs> so what this show within a show demonstrates is how very different superheroing for which white dudes is versus people like Sam who were apparently volunteering for the Avengers, which, oh my God, I just, why, why no one in the Avengers said between getting contusions and, and blips that, that they would maybe like health insurance is God's private mystery. But here we are. Sam is mostly freelancing and broke. He's also still stuck in a, I'm a Falcon, wee! mindset instead of like realizing that Captain America his own self handed him the shield and expected him to use it what Sam does instead is he turns the Captain America shield to the Smithsonian for their Steve Rogers shrine and then we see the Defense Department has lied to him about why they wanted the shield back and we see Sam's sickening realization that despite being the dude who served his country tirelessly, who was Captain America's number two, and most crucially, Captain America's chosen successor, the United States only sees him as the black sidekick. And they put another white man in the Captain America suit with Steve Rogers' shield. Between this scene and the one at the bank earlier, where Sam is clearly being discriminated against, I'm pretty sure we're going to see Sam spend the next five episodes deciding he's done waiting for his country to do right by someone who's already tried to do right by it instead. Yeah. Indeed. That that whole arc, you know, the action sequence in the beginning got me into the show. I thought, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. Talk about the production values. But it was actually after that, like, just like Kelly, when I got to see the interactions of the characters, I was like, okay, I'm in. And the yeah. thing I truly loved... Was a setup is it's the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and they're never together in this first episode. No, yeah, and this is a crucial part of the way I think they're doing the uh, storytelling because they're trying to get you into the heads of both of those characters before they bring them together. Yeah. Also, so I think this is also a really genius move for Marvel as a whole because their first generation slash first tier Avengers have all eased out of their contracts like Robert Downey mm -hmm. Jr. is off the table now um Chris Evans is gone um mm -hmm. Mark Ruffalo has been turned into CGI Scarlett Johansson's off playing a tree <laughs> or whatever she does these days um but I can remember when you look at Avengers Age of Ultron and the end you've got Steve and Natasha getting ready to train Wanda and Rhodey and the Falcon and you're like eh, mm -hmm. that's fine whatever what the TV shows have done is they've introduced those characters within the sandbox. And now like we're all super invested in Wanda Maximoff and we're about to get super invested in both Sam and Bucky and not just because we wanted them to kiss Sam, <laughs> or, excuse me, kiss Steve. We're, we're going to be like, Oh my God, they have like real stories. We're going to get to know them and see them as protagonists. And mm -hmm. I think the fact that they turned Sam into a supporting character in his own story in the first episode. And Sam was like, no, you don't. I think that's going to be a great way to bring the audience al along so that by the end of six episodes, everyone is like, Sam Wilson, six movies, Sam Wilson, six movies. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, and I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. And, and so far 
like one of the things that I liked about this was um, I admit not knowing a lot about either one of them, uh, you know, from the MCU, right? Like just yeah. from the from the movies. Um, but nothing that they're doing here feels uh, false no. to me. Like all of this feels exactly like, yeah, if, the, you know, Bucky's getting pardoned and so he has to go to therapy. I could see that. You know, and Sam not being able to convince the loan officer that even though he's a superhero, he should get a, a business loan to help, like, work this out. Because he's totally... a black man in America, right? Yeah. I'm, like, legitimately astonished that no one of the Avengers ever actually said, you know, I can't pay for this with my good looks. So for our podcast listeners, we're moving to the reaction segment, obviously. We're going to enjoy this stuff now, just trying to keep the housekeeping going. So, but yeah, sorry. So something I want to point out is that mm -hmm. this whole setup, uh, especially with Sam, uh, I think it's real obvious where this this discussion is going, and I'm just hope. And I said this in in text earlier this week when we were talking about doing this that they lean into this hard, this whole subject of race with the MCU. And then it occurred mm -hmm. to me the guy who created this show. You, you know who he is? No. Malcolm Spellman. He's one of the creators of Empire. Oh, oh, I love the first season of Empire. <laughs> and if if somebody's got skin in the game for talking about race, this uh, this is one of the guys who could do it. Uh, but yes. the thing that stunned me is he didn't just make it the Sam uh, Wilson story. There is so much depth. Uh, with Bucky there and so much uh, interesting uh, stuff there and getting the actress that's playing his uh, therapist, Amy Aquino, who I just loved I in love Bosch, so just loved in Bosch, uh, that that's just like perfect casting. Of course, when you, you know, see the toot and everything else, but, you know, also his friend, uh, uh, the sushi chef uh, that he sort of dates and that whole dynamic. Oh my God. Like everyone in like everyone again, impeccably cast. Um, I want to watch the Nori show. Like I'm sure it's great. Just like <laughs> we all wanted to watch the agent Wu show. Yes. And the Darcy show. Like again, I'm getting these smaller characters. Like I want to know who else that therapist has to sit through in a day. Because if she's like a government-issued therapist, is it possible that she also has to deal with everybody else who's brokered a deal? Like, does Hawkeye call her and make fart noises into the phone? Um... <laughs> <laughs> like, she even says at one point, you know, like... She was a soldier. I was a soldier. I was a good soldier. And I, like, and I've seen some stuff, you know, and she... You know, and she's like, you know, that's how I know. That's how I know you're full of it, Bucky, is kind of where she goes with that. And, like, the two of them, like, if this was just that show, um, I would absolutely watch Bucky Goes to Therapy all the live long day because it would be hilarious. So I want to talk about Sebastian Stan for a minute or two here. Mm -hmm. And the reason I want to talk about Sebastian Stan is, honestly, he's never landed for me in the movies. Really? Really. Okay. But what I was about to say is, but... I found him tremendously charming in this whole TV series, like this whole yep. TV episode. Like, 
just when he leans his head in and says, I'm making amends out like I was on the floor laughing. And it was so good. And the yes. way <laughs> he manages to come off as somebody who is got an innate hockey charisma but he's like deeply adrift in the world and knows it and doesn't know how to get his feet underneath him he's mm-hmm. done good work and I find I feel like I finally get Bucky Barnes as a character because yeah I sure as heck didn't get him in previous movies um and yeah. I'm wondering if he's just the kind of actor who translates better on a smaller screen well I, I've seen him in other films uh for example The Martian which I, I thought he was great he in. was like fine as a supporting character in that he yeah. was like your standard nice guy and that was like oh he's fine like I liked him did you guys ever watch King it's Kings it was a show with um I'm gonna say the actor who played Swear Swear Swagin on Deadwood um Ian, oh. Ian, um, Ian McShane. McShane. So Ian McShane, yeah. basically, it's like this weird riff off of um, a couple Old Testament stories where Ian McShane plays a divinely appointed king. His successor comes up. Sebastian Stan played Ian McShane's son in the series, ah, and he played okay. his deeply closeted son in the series. <laughs> um, no, that was like the serious plot point was he's closeted, he can't because he's next in line for the throne, but his mother, who's played ah. by Susanna Thompson, doing the classic Susanna Thompson thing, and I love her so much, um, is like manipulative. How are, you, how are you on screen at the same time with Ian McShane and you get anybody to pay attention to you at all. So that takes chops. Yeah, no, he like he like uh Sebastian Stan stood up against Susanna Thompson and Ian McShane. Oh, okay, wow. I'm impressed. I I've got to yeah. check that out then. And then when they cast him and I saw him in like Captain America and um Captain Captain uh, what was it? Captain America and the Winter Soldier? Was it the time? Yeah, that was well, he was yeah. in the original first Avenger, certainly, as yeah. Bucky. But, like, there you're like, eh, whatever. And, um, you know, oh, he's charming. He fell off a train. He fell off a train. And then you see him again. And you're, I was like, eh, he's, he's, he's sort of, he's sort oh, of hey, a Oh, it's that guy. Okay. And yeah. it covered his mouth, whatever. And, like, through every movie, I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to care. And I just don't care. Uh, uh. And, like, this series has, has, been, has done more to rehab Bucky Barnes for me. I need you to read more comic books and then you might care but uh, oh my something God. I want to point out like fighting words the, the thing I loved in this was uh, Sebastian Stan's ability to do this dance where he's the charming good looking young man but he's also like when but he's, he's talking 106. to his old, he's 106 and he's talking they're looking at the obituaries yeah like a couple of old guys together in the sushi bar and oh my God, to me, as another, you know, not that old, but old guy, I found that to be as hysterically funny as his his grin to uh, the evil senator. Yes. Uh, it just, just uh, was not lost on me. I also like the sort of range that he had, the, the way uh, he and Amy Aquino did the conversation as patient and therapist, you can that can just be awful, or it can be what it was in this show, which is terrific. The other thing I thought to get back to uh, Anthony Mackey was this tense relationship uh, with his sister, and I thought uh, she. she uh, uh, Adaparo Aduye, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Aduye, I think it is. Uh, and she just 
Anthony Mackey is the Falcon. He plays this effusive, positive, we can get it done kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and she just plays this frustration that she has to constantly go up against that. And she doesn't want to tear him down because she loves her well, brother. she's tired of being the wonder killer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She doesn't want to be buzzkill all the time, right? Yeah. If I can tag in on this, um, so a few things. One, I really feel the need to plug my friend Kate Washington's new book called Already Toast, which is, it was just released last week. It's a reported memoir of her time caregiving her um, husband when he was ill with stage four cancer. And she looks at caregiving labor and how much of it tends to fall on women in America and how like this really pushes you towards burnout. So when I saw Sam's sister, that's a woman with burnout. Like, yep. Just a yep. woman who, who, who is like tapped out and she's tired of having people be like, well, have you tried X, Y, Z? Because yes, she's tried it. She's tried everything. There is literally nothing you can suggest that she hasn't already thought of. No, that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah. Why wouldn't I have done that? Yeah. So, and, and my friend Kate talks about this beautifully and the lack of support. The other two things I want to, well, there's like, I could talk about Anthony Mackie's performance forever. The mofo was so charismatic. Um, but the other, the other things I wanted to raise with um, the show and what I can't stop thinking about is there's been a, there's a promo shot and they actually did the, the beauty shot in the series where he's holding the first episode where, where he's holding the shield. And what it really reminded me of was that Norman Rockwell painting Oh, yeah. yeah. Freedom from Want, I think it's called. Freedom from Want. You got it right. I think yeah. so, Okay, yeah. thank you. Um, it's, it, it, but the way he's holding the shield and looking down at it, like it's, it's, it's all, it has the same American iconography there. And I thought that composition and the way the light is slanted, because the light is slanted exactly like that Rockwell painting. Like I went back and looked at the painting. He's backlit at exactly the same way. And the light's coming at exactly the same angle. His posture is exactly the same. And that Rockwell well imagery is deliberate oh of course and i love that they just laid that card on the table there um i think that's fantastic and, and by the way as a as an old white guy i i delight in getting punched in the face with things like that just <laughs> i just love that I, I, i'm gonna keep my eyes open for more americana iconography because i'm hopeful that we get some in every episode but the last thing i want to talk to you guys about is one of the things that they set up in WandaVision that I think they're continuing to embroider here is the gulf between the blips and the not blipped. Yes. It's it's this universe's political schism. And mm-hmm. I have to be honest with you, I kind of didn't see it coming. I didn't either. Like, it's a really interesting creative choice for me, for, for them to make, in my opinion. Well, because we're hanging out here. Like we, you know, like the, the, you know, obviously the, the movies sort of end, you know, at that point, but um, we, and we don't spend a lot of time there in the films. And so having all of this, uh, you know, in the aftermath, you know, this is one of those things. Uh, I don't remember what show it was. Maybe it was the boys or something where um, there's like an actual, Oh, it was the Incredibles where um, like, you've made a mess of stuff and it's really expensive when you have a fight through the middle of a building, like you're leaving that there for all of us to have to deal with. And 
like the the sort of aftermath of it is a thing we never get from any of that stuff. So hanging out there and having you know having WandaVision you know hot on the heels of it, and then having this now that you know like we know everybody's back. We aren't really sure what happened to them, but everybody's here, and this is our life now, and this is what we're going to do, and. It feels a little, to me, it almost feels a little futuristic because I feel like I'm going to get parachuted into a new reality sometime this summer and I'm not going to be quite equipped to deal with what that looks like because I don't know what that world is going to look like when all of that changes. So uh, that was the thing that that I noticed about it too, like hanging out in, in the aftermath and having it not be pretty and having it not be like great for everybody you know because it wasn't and i've sort of appreciated that now i kind of desperately want to see um an anthology of short stories about what happened when people got blipped back blipped back in because we saw some of the chaos in the hospital again in the wandavision series we saw that in episode four and um the reason i'm so intrigued by that is Remember what an amazing event it's depicted as in Avengers Endgame. Like the birds literally begin singing again. And there's that moment where like the sunlight breaks over Paul Rudd's beautiful blue eyes. And then (laughs) Hawkeye's wife calls and all of a sudden he's no longer a murder ninja. And like you're all, ooh, this is great. The, the, The planet is fixing itself. And then we find out that no, as a matter of fact, it is not (laughs) you know people are like weirded out and unhappy and trying to figure out why people moved on without them and it's disorienting and terrible and i'm just like imagine the imagination you have to have to be like okay this is where we're going with this whoosh and they're building it out like the brazen cojones it's amazing to me yeah yeah like i love it (laughs) I'm here because this is a story we don't get otherwise. And I'm I'm into it. If only the, you know, MCU and this show had the depth of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, sorry, I just want to drop that there. Uh, a couple of other. Well, maybe if we're if we're really lucky, we can see Sebastian Stan like kissing a waitress as Hallelujah sing plays yeah, in the background. Sing, maybe if we're super just... lucky, we'll get that. Oh, I hope so. Well, I heard that they're going to release all of falcon and the winter snowman as one long black and white movie in four by three aspect ratio so i really love falcon and the winter snowman <laughs> i we we got there it was like the compromise and i'm just calling it that now falcon it's like timothy hutton shows up in act three all hey how you doing i have sean penn he wants to say hi <laughs> it's the mind-blowing cameo of this show spoiler alert a couple of other a couple of other things i like about the show uh hopefully it was not lost on everybody uh, in the uh, and uh, I I don't know how long the three of us spent talking about the Smithsonian mm. in uh, text chat the other day, but when um, Sam and Rhodey walk through the Smithsonian, you know, like yeah. you know, follow, and have the conversation and stuff like that, the thing that just welled up in me with pride was. This is so cool. This is two black superheroes. He- yeah. That are essentially, you know, because most of the Avengers are gone. These are these are the big shots, and they're they're talking to each other, and they're you know making the waves, and still, you know, at the end, they hit Sam right in the solar plexus, right? 
And that book ending was, this is, uh, it's like Spellman. I love you. I love you. <laughs> love you and your crew coming up with this stuff. So, because I think these are just, these are stories and tones that we just need to hear right now. And there's so much depth to the MCU that you can ter- tell those stories. I got excited about what you got excited about. Um, Because I asked this earlier if there was a Bechdel test for when two characters of color are on screen together. Yes! And they're not talking about the white person whose lives they're just backup players in. Yeah. Um, And it turns out uh, the New York Times film critic Manila Dargis suggested what could be called the DuVernay test after Ava DuVernay. Ooh. I like that. So that's one proposal. And... um, there is another uh, writer named uh, Nikes Shukla who uh, suggested a Bechtel test where two main characters are people of color talking to each other without mentioning their race. So I'd argue by those metrics, I can't remember if there if if we've ever seen a scene like we saw in the Smithsonian where you have two men who are black men in America who are talking about the world and not once do they say, hey, as the black best friend of a white Avenger, this is my perspective, but rather (laughs) like that subtext was there. And instead they're like, well, we got a deal and what are we going to do about it? And it Mm -hmm. it was just great to see the attention shift to them. That was just amazing. I just thought that was great. Uh, I, I feel bad in one way for noticing it. Well, we notice it because we have we have to notice it though because we haven't seen we it haven't before. seen it yes yeah. <laughs> if it it because we notice because it's not a thing realistically speaking have we even seen a scene that passes the Bechdel test yet well that'd take two women so so no is the answer to that yeah <laughs> and we're twenty three movies and six and seven eight series into the into into the MCU now um but it, this is something where. I'm always kind of like, do they have a futurist on? The reason I ask, do they have a futurist on staff is because you could basically argue that WandaVision was the perfect pandemic show because we were all trapped inside watching TV. Yeah. Um, but you could also argue that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is your post-pandemic TV show where you begin to see the big divides between the the blipped and the not blipped or the, the masked mm-hmm. and the maskless, as it were. And... Yep how they deal with each other you can see what the how there is a fundamentally different outlook on the world by these two different groups of people mm-hmm. and you can see um like the world has changed and i'm not sure how i'm gonna deal with that you know and that like because like i felt like bucky and sam were a little bit alike in that way like both of them are like the world is different now now bucky's is because he's 106 and Sam's is because, like, you know, he was Cap's sidekick and he's not anymore. And he didn't want to be Cap. He didn't want to be Captain America. He decided that was not his place. And, and now he's like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm I'm really, really hoping like the thing I said out loud when we watched it, um, the thing I said out loud when they locked it in that case was how many episodes is Sam going to spend having to get that thing out of there? And I, I'm glad that it came out at the end of the first episode because now it means that Sam just has to go whoop this dude's butt and, and get a hold of it himself. So I'm hoping that's what happens. But I, ju- um, 
you know, Don, to your point, like, you know, you said you wish you didn't have to notice. I wish I didn't have to notice, but I'm glad it happened because oh, yes. now that it's happened once, maybe it'll happen more and then it won't have to be a thing we have to notice anymore. So, you know, fingers crossed. Um, I am, I'm curious where this is going to go. And uh, the review from my house is I said, Mr. Kelly, who basically noped out of Marvel movies a long time ago. I think it was uh, Thor the Dark World that sent him off the bandwagon. And and I said, I'm going to watch this show. Do you want to watch with me? Like, maybe it'll be fun. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Uh, and he said, well, okay, like, but you do. What do you know? And I said, well, it's called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And it stars The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And that's what I know about it. <laughs> and now you know everything I do. And... He's like, okay. So he sat and watched it with me. Uh, we watched it. And then the next day he said, uh, so are, is, are there more episodes of that? And I said, no, we get one a week. And we just got that one yesterday. And he said, so do they come out? When do they come out? And I said, every Friday. And he said, so we can't watch another one until next week. And that's the most interest he's had in a television show. And I don't even know how long. So I I'm feel impressed. like that's a good sign. Yeah. I'm impressed. He's curious. And he doesn't really know anything about them and so like i had to explain why the gloves were funny and like no really he said he's 106 because he's 106 (laughs) and yeah so there was but there wasn't a whole lot you know he just kind of went with it like okay you know when do we get the next one so uh i'm i'm curious what it's going to be like for him as a person who isn't even like super into the films Mm -hmm. let alone super into the um you know the comic end of things which is probably where we're headed next and we're gonna we're gonna get some things that we haven't seen yet we've seen in the previews and some we haven't seen in the previews we're gonna two major characters we haven't seen well three major characters one that we barely saw which was the Flag Smasher or Carl uh, Morgenthau, as he's known in the comics. And then we're going to okay. see uh, Agent 13, Sharon Carter. She's going to be back. And we're going to get Baron Zemo in his real, with his real purple mask. That's, if you don't know, that's Helmut Zemo. He was, uh, he was the guy who's responsible for the Avengers breakup in uh, Civil War. Oh, and he's played by... Um... Daniel Bruhl. Daniel Bruhl, who is fantastic. Um, he's fantastic in everything he's in. Have you seen him in the... He played opposite Chris Hemsworth in... Um, oh, it's... it's. I have a terrible nickname for the movie, and I can't remember the real name now. <laughs> but basically, Chris Hemsworth is this fantastically charismatic um, racer, and um, oh, yes, Bruhl plays Nikki Lauda. Yes, oh. yes, yes, yes. I, I, I did not see it, but I know the movie that you're talking about. No, it was one of those where... Um, we have a theory in our house, actor versus movie star, or actually, actually versus <laughs> is the wrong word because you can be an actor and a movie star, but yes. to be a movie star is different than being an actor. And when we watch, whoops, I melted my face, um, which is the, the internal title for that movie. I just referred to about poor Nikki Lauda. Um, we watched it and we're like, Chris Hemsworth, not much of an actor, fantastic movie star, but Daniel Brühl is just an actor's actor. He's so good. Oh, love him. Mm. And excited to see him here this way, too. Um, the one other thing I wanted to ask you guys about um, with regard to this episode. Um, do you think this um, sensibility that we're feeling through um, the first episode so far, do you think this sensibility would read differently 
if we had had a different outcome with uh, last year's big political shenanigans in Washington, D.C.? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it would. Yeah. And I, and I don't even want to think about that out, outcome. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I will, we'll, we would be here for another We have hours. a hard enough time yeah. sleeping as it is. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was just something because I, I thought the shows tend to have a little bit of a lead time. You don't just make it and slap it on the air. And right. again, I'm wondering if now Marvel has like a futurist on their staff where the guy wanders out of his little Vegas cube and <laughs> like has so, a post-it stuck to his eyebrow and he's like, okay, here's where our heads will be in 2021. And they're like, oh, okay. So, very so I, I listened to a YouTube interview with uh, Spellman today because I was trying to do background stuff and this guy from Variety asked him that various question and Spellman cracked up and he was like, you know, we made jokes about, you know, the staff being very present about things, but as it went along, it got creepier and creepier. He said, like, how many things did they call? And he says, you know, it's like, I would love to claim, you know, it's like total genius, but, you know, part of part of that is just luck, right? Uh, but yeah. but in the end, you know, he said, what we're trying to do is we're trying to tell a really good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're trying to make a point about the story that we're telling and have a, a point of view. And it just happened to dovetail. Right. And I, I think when if you listen to the interviews with the showrunner for one uh, division, he was basically the same way. It's like, well, you know, I'd love to think we're all geniuses, but, you know, part of it's just dumb luck. Twice in a row, though, I I think they're hiding someone. I think, I think that Cable came back, but instead of being a useless cyborg killer who's hung up on Scott Summers, he's a pop culture junkie, and they put him in the writers' room. <laughs> Works for me. Uh, Where do things happen? That's that's the real superhero. Right like if you walk into the writer's room and there's a dude with an M tattooed over his eye and he introduces, introduces himself as Bishop, you're like, this will all make so much more sense now. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You know what? I think uh, once we start making jokes about time traveling Marvel characters, it's time for us to move on to the third section of Maximoff Overdrive, which is the really. And this. Oh, Kelly, you do a better really. Please. Please go ahead. <laughs> Really? Yes. And, <laughs> she does a great one. And this is where Don um, drops some comics books knowledge on us. And Kelly and I both react with really and ask mm-hmm. qu- clarifying or not so clarifying questions and <laughs> see what sort of comics Easter eggs are nestled within the uh, nooks and crannies and grass of the episode. So what's funny is we talked about the three segments before we did the show, the pre-show, which will never be released to humans. No. Because there's lots of F-bombs in it, for one thing. Lab uh, animals keep dying as we play it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, we were talking about some of the various characters. And like, how am I going to talk about these characters in relationship to the comics? Because when you talk about Bucky Barnes, I mean, good God. Uh, not only is the character go back just as long as Captain America in comic book lore, uh They've retconned his story probably more often than Captain America. Uh, So it's nuts. And uh, what's funny about Bucky, because he kept coming up in flashbacks and time stories and stuff like that. They basically killed off Bucky in the comics back in the 50s. And uh, uh, there was a joke in comics. There were there were three characters 
who never come back from the dead. I can't remember the third one, but it was, you know, it was Uncle Ben, Bucky Barnes, and this other character. That was Gwen Stacy. Ah, uh, possibly. I don't it's know. It's always re- like Spider Man, like Spider Man adjacent people don't come back from the dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, but they they eventually wound up bringing them all back because you know comics. Uh, it's comics. But, so it was a mass- question of time. But they, you know, they brought him back. They brought Bucky back multiple times, and really, his whole incarnation as the Winter Soldier, you know, is something that's actually, you know, recent. I mean, it's most of the real story to that is, uh, well, it's not, you know, it's within the last 25 years, which for comics in the Marvel Universe is recent. Uh, so there's that, uh, that whole thing. And there are some comics where some of the stuff overlaps with the MCU. But fr- frankly, I got to be honest with you, the MCU is much more internally consistent than anybody gives them credit for. Because if you try to read the comics, you go, well, wait a minute, I read this thing back in 2004, and that's like completely different than what's on the stand now. And it's like, hey, welcome to comics. <laughs> then there's the Falcon, which uh, a lot of people don't realize this, is how old that character is. And the milestone that's set by the Falcon, which is, this was the first major black character in comics, believe it or not. This, uh, the Falcon, uh, I think, premiered in one of the various Captain America scenes. I think it might have been Captain America back in 1969. Really? Yeah, it's the, it, the character is that old. Um, and he, de- uh, he debuted with Red Wing, who was not a cybernetic organiza- uh, organism built by Tony Stark. It was a bird. And in fact, uh, the Falcon's real powers were his communication with like birds and stuff. And he got the other, you know, flying equipment later on after that. Oh, okay. That explains the, why the, the drone in his suit is named Red Wing. Exactly. Red That's, Wing. Yeah, so Red Wing. wasn't Bucky Barnes like a child? Originally? Yes, yes. Who really? Like corrupted who? and put, put to war. So, And he was a completely different age than, you know, Captain America was the adult and Bucky Barnes was the uh, what? Well, what I remember Has seeing ever when done I was like a kid. A deep dive I a... podcast on all these comic book writers who thought it was really cool for adult men to put young boys in tights and take them out for fisticuffs. Did you know that actually Stan Lee, bless his heart, hated this idea—the whole concept of like uh, sidekicks. He just hated them. Uh, Kirby, uh, who helped invent Bucky. Um, uh, was one of the you know co-creators of Captain America, Bucky, and lots of other characters with Joe Simon. Uh, he kind of had a soft spot in his heart because he he thought that you know it provides an end for uh, teenage boys, especially who are the main. Let's be honest here; they're the main purchasers of comics. You know, at least for decades, uh, that it provided them an end and an identification mechanism, but. Uh, uh, there was nothing about Jack that was, you know, creepy teenage boy thing. You know, so don't want to give that impression. So it's basically just kind of a Marty Stu thing where you could, yeah, you could yeah. watch this and be like, I too could be Captain America's sidekick, Bucky Barnes. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, okay. So, so there's that, but that again in the the various retconnings that that changed and it became more like the MCU where Bucky and Steve were basically the same age and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, and then there are other characters that we're seeing in the show that are obviously, and characters we haven't seen, uh, that are called backs, like uh, uh, Torres, Joaquin Torres, who uh, I think is excellent because, uh, you know, uh, Latino, we need more Latino characters in comics. And he, uh, in the comics, he actually takes over uh, being the Falcon. Really? Yes. With, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> really <laughs> i had no idea about this yeah and i believe this was one of the times when uh when it's falcon uh doing a sort of uh captain america thing but in the comics i believe i'm not sure falcon ever did the captain america thing but certainly bucky uh took over as captain america uh uh for a while there but the other character that we're introduced to is uh john walker as the new Captain America, who uh, was, um, I think he was introduced either as Super Patriot and then later was called U.S. Agent, but he's like the anti-Captain America. He is so, uh, I don't know if White Russell is going to be playing him. He doesn't get any speaking lines in the first episode, but I'm sure we'll hear him later on. I don't know if he's going to do the the Georgia good old boy um uh, accent or anything else like that but uh super patriot u.s agent this captain america is a total take on what happens when you go overboard so he's a lot like the anthony star character in the boys homelander i was gonna say he's given me strong homelander he's vibes. totally yeah he's totally yeah it's totally that then we have um uh, Carl uh, Morgenthau uh, who's the flag smasher who I gotta be honest with you uh, if it wasn't for Wikipedia I'd go who who is that? Who? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah who is that? Uh, uh, and then of course a character that I did know uh, that we're seeing back from his uh, uh, I think debut in Winter Soldier uh, uh, George uh, Batrock who in the comics was called Batrock the Leaper. And it, I forgot how long this guy had been around in the comics since like back in the 60s. Really? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and he really, you know, people think he's like some takeoff of Jean-Claude Van Damme that the MCU is doing. You know, it's just sort of poke in the eye of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, but this guy, the character in the comics was always this, uh, French uh, uh, agent uh, who uh, I forget what the French name for that kind of martial arts that this guy is supposed to be an expert of uh, is, is supposed to do and it you know it's been around for like 50 years or more so uh, uh, I thought that I thought that was pretty uh, amusing that you know people are drawing those parallels and it's not really there <laughs> and then, uh, of course, we've got that we haven't seen in the series yet, but I, I suspect we'll see her at least the next episode if the previews are correct. But it's not like Disney and Marvel haven't lied to us in the previews for WandaVision multiple yeah, times. No, I, th I think the, the previews are basically like Mad Libs, visual Mad Libs. We can't yeah. take anything seriously. Yeah, they're just they're just total crap. Yeah. It was like it was like the teaser trailer. But uh, that's I'm talking about uh, Sharon Carter, Agent 13. Who did I mention this her. before? Who uh, very complicated 
stories of her character and whatever. I do want to point out that when she was in, uh, she was first seen, I believe, in Captain of the Winter Soldier as well. And as soon as they cast Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter and we saw her on screen, I was like, oh, my God, she looks exactly like the drawing in the comics, at least the most recent ones I saw. I was like, really? Wow. Um, in the MCU, she's Peggy Carter's niece, mm-hmm. which makes you wonder why she didn't know Captain America was her uncle. But <clears throat> I digress. Uh, that uh, timelines, alternate timelines, we never know. But in the comics, she's actually... At one time, she gets taken over, possessed, or controlled by, I forget who, and she actually winds up uh, uh, killing Captain America. Well, assisting in the the presumed killing of Captain America. So it's really complicated. Mm. And then there's uh, Baron Zemo, who we haven't seen since... Uh, since they Civil stuck him War. in a box at the end of Civil War. Yeah, Civil War. They stuck him in a box with... Uh, uh, what's With his the name? The Hobbit. Yeah, the Watson. Uh, <laughs> I would say Watson. Uh, like, and the, like the fellow, the Fellowship of the Shield stuck him in the box. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there and, he is. Yeah, yeah. Kelly, Kelly's dying again. Kelly's dying again. But I think, it, I think it's great that, and we're gonna see his, we're gonna see finally some of his backstory because the bad thing about Civil War is we didn't understand enough why he hated everything so much why oh my he wanted to gosh do this. you kind of i felt you kind of did because you get that really poignant scene of yes. him listening to the voicemail and choosing to delete it because he wants to kill himself and then you know t'challa's like nope not yet and i i get chills with that scene now i did want to talk a little bit about some of the casting because i wanted to just kind of fell over danny ramirez who plays joaquin torres and that kid has presence. Holy fro-holy. Oh my gosh, I'm super excited <laughs> to see him in more stuff now. Right from the get-go, oh, we're going to have to call some people. I feel like the parent on a pool deck was like, oh, that young lady sure can do the freestyle. Like, no, Danny Ramirez <laughs> was a lot of fun to watch in every scene he, he was. had. And he has not... He, he's only apparently been doing this for like five years so like good for him for you know just jumping out of the gate fast as it were um and the other thing is i want to say i think casting wyatt russell is kind of a genius move i don't know how much you've seen of him in other things um but i first saw him in the sequel to goon uh I'm trying to Not the original you. Goon? No, it was Goon, Last of the Enforcers, which yeah. was the sequel to Goon. He, he was actually in Goon oh, as okay. well. Oh, but he but, but he, play, he plays Anders Kane in the yeah. in the second one. And um well, he's basically played in the first one. <laughs> well, I'm looking now and oddly enough, I don't see Goon on his IMDB list. That's this is why you mm. should use Wikipedia. Okay. But yeah, he so he plays Andrews Kane, who's like the big bad in Goons too in Goon too. He's super good at it, but I also wanna give him a shout out for Lodge forty nine. Like Wyatt Russell can go between goofy and menacing. And um he's got a really nice loose physicality to how he moves and I'm but, really but, looking forward to seeing But his parents his parents are the amazing thing. His parents are Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know the first movie he was in? Overboard. <laughs> as like a fetus one of the most underrated 
uh, comedies out there. So, uh, no, he's um, I'm I'm looking forward to him. I'm also super fascinated at how Marvel always manages to cast people who are meant to be in a in a Captain America mold, but they're just so slightly off. Yes. Um, because there's Wyatt Russell, and then I was thinking back to Jessica Jones, where you had Will Travell, yes, who played um, what was what was the name of his character again? It was really crap. I can't remember either. I'm I'm blanking on his name, which is too bad. But he was like Trish's boyfriend and kind of creepy. Oh, Will Simpson was his name. That's why yeah. Simpson, Will Will. Agent Simpson. He was Agent yeah. Simpson, and Agent Simpson was very clearly like somebody where you're supposed to look at him and he and will simpson clearly wanted you to think he bore a resemblance to captain america but there was something just off enough off about him that did and we're seeing that again and like kudos to the casting professionals on both of those projects for managing to find people who are just wrong enough to 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 make your hackles go up (laughs) because well it's great because it gives you something to dig in and emotionally react to with the characters and that makes it more fun to be engaged and to uh watch doesn't it yeah yeah oh yeah absolutely also my daughter wanted me to my 10 year old watch this with me the first time and she wanted me to share this impression with you which is she likes it when bucky's hair is shorter and yes she feels that um in terms of who got a better deal from hydra she said at least wanda gets powers they couldn't even bother to give bucky a haircut <laughs> so <laughs> So, so wow. this is apparently her big bone to pick with Hydra is insufficient hygiene. Um, but uh, she she's like, that's a legitimate bone to pick. Yeah. I'm, I'm I support that. But yeah, but yeah she's 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 kind of into it. Not not quite to the same degree as WandaVision yet, but she's intrigued. Yeah, I'll keep you up if she has more assessments. Um, so we've had our recap. And Kelly, I cannot thank you enough for such an exhaustively detailed recap because you, <laughs> you put in a lot of stuff that I just did not. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to you. Do more recaps. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was pretty awesome. It was so. great. I loved our reaction segment because I feel like we got all of our reactions out there. And Don Melton, I cannot thank you enough for leading us through this inaugural round of really, really? because <laughs> we all learned something from it. All right, loyal listeners, this wraps up uh, this episode of Maximoff Overdrive. We're keeping the name and the mission to. Uh, talk shop about our mostest favoritest marvel tv shows still intact Uh, thank you for going on the ride with us i was here with kelly gamont thanks so much don melton thanks again for the invite and mealy sushmizer have a good night everybody Mm